Well, following Jesus isn't always easy, but it's not complicated. Uh, act justly, love mercy, walk humbly makes it pretty simple. And on this podcast, we aim to make real life simple. And today I'm joined by one of my personal heroes, a professor I had in college. He had the pleasure of grading my papers, my sermons, and watching me play basketball. Uh, there are very few left to talk about those three things, but uh, uh, J.K. Jones is a pastor and professor He's a uh, professor at Lincoln uh, Christian Seminary up in Lincoln, Illinois. Um, and he's also a uh, pastor at a church in Illinois. Uh, just an, an incredible individual and uh, taught me uh, the love of reading. And, and, and JK, I don't know if I've ever told you this before, but when I got to college, I'd only read three books in my lifetime. One was uh, No Wonder They Call Him the Savior, Max Lucado, which that's a great one to start with. Yeah. Uh, the other was Frank Peretti, This Present Darkness, and the other was Animal Farm by George Orwell. So, <laughs> and I, my, my claim to fame in high school was I read Animal Farm in eighth grade, and every year I had to do a book report, I did it on the same book, and I got A's from eighth grade to senior, and I was so happy that I'd only read one book there. But when I got into your class, you told a story. First of all, your bibliography for your class was about six or seven pages, <laughs> single space, front and back. And you talked about books like they were friends. And I remember you telling a story. I don't even know if you remember this. About helping a woman who was headed to the mission field condense her library, 10 books. And you talked about how, how the two of you wept over which books to leave behind and which books to take. And I thought, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. <laughs> who, who would do that? Uh, but then after completing your class and spending time with some of the books you recommended, and now 30 some years later, I get it. There's something special about reading. Um, I, I wanna just start with a really open-ended question. Why is reading so valuable? Hmm. Well, I, the first thing that came to my mind, Rusty, is you were unfolding that story and I still hear from that dear sister in Christ every once in a while who, uh, in a very painstaking endeavor, uh, we both got to that place where we narrowed it down to 10 books. You made me immediately think of C.S. Lewis and Lewis's answer to that question. He said, we read to know that we're not alone. Mm. And I think there's something about the imagery of friendship, of finding a voice, I used to think maybe I was off base too when I talked about how certain authors, certain books could become lifelong mentors to us, coaches to us. So there's something about the, the world of the reader and reading where you find that you're not so alone as you thought you were. And I think that's really redemptive. Mm. Well, that's so well said. And I, I'm thinking about how many of us read, which is, to find a fix for something. Yeah. I read this to fix something in my life, um, yeah. whether it's our, our marriage. Um, and we've all had that before where a couple comes to us, they're signing papers the next day, but hey, give me a quick book to read. Yeah. Well, you know, so it's, it's fix my kids, fix my marriage, fix my soul. But to think about reading as somebody who walks with you through this journey and knowing you're not alone, boy, that is a, that's a good word. Um, I want to hit the, uh, the hot topic here because a lot of our listeners are 
are women that read a lot more than their husbands. And guys, the statistics tell us guys don't read another book after high school. Um, so what do you say uh, to, to men who probably have four or five books on their nightstand that their wives have given them, a bookmark one page in, and have never really made the time for it? Um, well, how would you encourage them? How would you encourage their wives who keep giving them books? Well, my first response is you haven't found the right book or the right author yet, because <laughs> once you do, e even the most sluggish uh, non-reader can find that resource. I have a friend who loves uh, Rusty. He's a big athlete and loves the sports world, and he has found in the voice of Tony Dungy, for example, mm -hmm. someone that just speaks his heart language. And so I would say to all the wives out there, girlfriends, <laughs> significant others, that you just have to keep searching and, and ask people like me. Uh, sometimes people will find me at Barnes & Noble or wherever I am, and they'll say, do you have a book recommendation? I love those conversations. So it's finding that right that right connection. And sometimes it takes longer than we would like it to take, but don't give up. There's a mm -hmm. voice out there that might match that man in your life. So with that in mind, let's dive into this. What okay. does reading do for your soul? Let's just start there. It makes you know you're not alone, but what else does it do? It, it gives a lens of wisdom that I otherwise wouldn't have. And I think in our day, especially, we were joking before we came on air of the uh, tumultuous time that we find ourselves in now. Uh, there's this real need for uh, what I would frame, Rusty, as biblical wisdom, to know what to do in the right way at the right time in the spirit of Christ. And good books, the right books, can help you become a wise person, to live a wise life. Mm. And I think, secondly, there's, a, there's just this formational piece. You, again, you find the right author and the right book at just the right time, and what God by His Spirit does is we take a giant step forward in our own formation, in our own, we might say it this way, our own change, to look more and more like Jesus. So those two factors, really, there are a whole bunch of others, but those two factors are significant. Okay, so we wanna, we wanna get to, you know, some of the, the, the book recommendations you have for people. Um, I, I prepped you with, because I know this conversation could last for days. It could. <laughs> <laughs> but kind of a, uh, somebody who's, a, you know, just starting out kind of 101, into 201, 301, we'll go to 401, a recommended reading list. And I know that you've had to whittle it down a little bit, but, but give us some recommendations for 101. You're just starting out reading. Maybe somebody's listening to this thinking, do I just go to the bestseller list at, you know, it used to be at your Christian bookstore. Now it's just online. Um, but, but what do I look for? Okay. Now um, I'm going to preface what I'm about to say. I hope you still love me after we're done with all this. Uh, <laughs> I'm thinking of the person who just said yes to Jesus. Okay. And so the, the backside of what we're going to call 101 is a cultivation of Bible reading. I would, in my language, I would call it word intake. 
I'm going to assume that a person has done that. And for each of these categories, Rusty, I'm going to give three books. The first one, it's going to sound strange, but the first one is the updated version of the old Pilgrim's Progress. This is called the New Pilgrim's Progress by uh, 17th century John Bunyan. It's been brought into the 21st century. And the reason I recommend it right off the bat is because somewhere when you first say yes to Jesus, you got to know that you're in for a lifetime journey and Pilgrim's Progress will put you on that first step, that right step. The second book I would read is A.W. Tozer's classic, The Pursuit of God. It's, it's clear. It's concise. He wrote this on a train. It just staggers me when, you, when I read. I reread this one periodically like I do the Bunyan classic, Pilgrim's Progress. He wrote this on the train from Chicago to a speaking engagement that he'd had down in Texas. Within 24 hours, he had the first manuscript handwritten, and it became this classic. And I still recommend it, even to graduate students, people who've walked with Jesus for a long time. I don't care where you are. The Pursuit of God is just a terrific resource for those just starting. And Rusty, this is going to sound weird, but this book by Jerry Sitzer, Sitzer teaches up in the Northwest, uh, has a deep uh, tragedy in his life that makes his writing, I think, be so grace-filled. This is called Water from a Deep Well. And for somebody who just has started their walk with Jesus, this might be a little challenging, but it's readable. And what it does is it starts to connect the dots for you so that you know how we got where we are when we talk about the church. So he gives a a really simple, clear overview of what I would call Christian history, and it can help ground that that person who just has affirmed, I want to be a Jesus follower. Okay, let me interrupt you there, because these are great, and uh, I remember you gave us Pilgrim's Progress when I was in your class. I think it was the children's version, wasn't it? It was. It was the little people's version, because you know this, Rusty, people just stumble all over the these and thous of the old King James language. Right. Yeah, that first one's really difficult. So the newer one is is easier to read, and you don't have to go to the, the, the children's version. Yeah, what I like about it is the footnotes explain, if you're into that kind of thing, why Bunyan says what he does at that point in this allegory. It's an allegory. So yeah. very helpful. Warren Wearsby, the late Warren Wearsby, has a lot of notes that he's added to this. And if anybody out there recognizes his name, you'll know that he was always known for his clarity. So Mm. the new progress. That's great. Okay. Those are three great works for people just starting out. Okay. Let's get to 201. What do you have there? This, the first one that I jotted down here is from a woman by the name of Adele Albert Calhoun. This has been revised and updated. It's called Spiritual Disciplines Handbook, and I'm recommending the revised and expanded version. I won't remember how many holy habits she talks about. I think it's 85 now. Uh, And I just love it because 
again, for the non-reader out there, there are only two to three pages in length, and you don't have to start at the front. You just pick out the holy habits that might help you grow in Christ. When I think of 201, I think of somebody who has said, hey, I really want to grow. I don't want to just say yes to Jesus. I want to grow in this. So Adele's book, published by InterVarsity, Spiritual Disciplines Handbook, Rusty is a dandy resource. The second one is an old classic, C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity. I wouldn't encourage somebody just starting unless they had a really cultivated reading life to start with this, but I think it's doable in a 201 level approach, Mere Christianity, Mm -hmm. a classic that many people before us have used to deepen their walk with Christ. Uh, I'm thinking of Chuck Colson, for example. This particular resource impacted him profoundly. And then this little bitty, you can see how thin it is. Our listeners can't, but you can. This is a little work called uh, The Green Letters. At one time, Rusty, it was called uh, Principles of Spiritual Growth. It's a series of essays by Miles Stanford, and I have given this away multiple times to people who were saying, I'm hungry. I want more. Where can I start? What do I need? Give me a baby step. I would highly recommend Mm. Miles Stanford's The Green Letters for 201. That's great. And I'll, I'll just interrupt you here to say that if you're listening to this on podcast, you can also watch it on my YouTube channel. And that way you can see not only the images of the book, but also the handsome J.K. Jones. So, Man, you are a high-tech dude. Well, I, I, have, I have a great team. <laughs> <laughs> okay, 301. Okay, when I think of 301, so our listeners understand what we're talking about, I think of somebody who has said yes to service. And by service, I don't mean just the church. I mean they're, they're observing what's going on in the world, and they think, i got to be – I have to invest myself in this. I I have to follow the way of justice, to quote Isaiah chapter 1, verse 17. And Rusty, this is where I may get myself in trouble. This is a little uh, Barna Group work called Frames. This is the season one collection, and there are... Uh, nine of these little, they're readable. You can read them in less than an hour that I find so incredibly helpful to, if you have a friend who, who just needs to maybe unplug periodically and you want to help them grow in that, there's a book on the hyperlinked life. If you have younger friends, there's a work here on 20 something and how, the 20-something might grow in Christ. There's one on women who are trying to bridge that, that crazy world between home and church and work and all. Anyway, they're wonderful. My favorite one is the one called Sacred Roots. If you only read that one, it would address what I'm calling Say Yes to service. That's the first one. Okay. The, the second one is from a California guy who, who has gone on to be with the Lord, uh, Dr. Bobby Clinton, Robert J. Clinton. And this is called, it's going to sound like it doesn't fit what we're talking about, but it does. It's called The Making of a Leader. 
Uh, it's my favorite book on the subject of servant leadership, hmm. bar none, except for Henry Nowen's uh, little work that we're going to talk about here momentarily. Uh, Clinton taught for a long, long time at Fuller Theological Seminary. And what I love about this particular book is the way he lays out what it looks like to be a servant in various seasons of your life. Uh, Rusty, I can't recommend that one enough. That's and then this one. little work for, again, Spiritual Life 301. This right. is the late Henry Nowen, Catholic priest, who would have thought that a Catholic priest could speak so eloquently to Protestants like me, but he can. And this is one that I read once or twice a year. I'll take it with me when I'm going somewhere. It's just, again, I tried to pick some out for people who might be afraid of diving into a book or don't think of themselves as a reader. This is a quick read. I bet you've read it probably more than once, but it, it's a wonderful example of a man who gave his heart to Christian service. That's a great, a great word there. He, and I'm so marveled by his life. I think I actually got that book from you and I've read it multiple times. I've passed it out to multiple people. I've never found anybody that has said, A, it's boring, or B, it's uh, you know, above their head. It's so, so practical. And I've just fallen in love with the works of now, and, and I keep finding new ones, little ones here and there, essays here and there that I read. But the Genesis Diary, that oh, one snuck up on me. I had not read that. That was beautiful. I think I've read most of what has been printed. It's amazing, Rusty, how many things they're still finding right. where he has written. Uh, he passed away in 1996, so there's been a quite a length of time where they're still finding manuscripts, things that he had jotted down, and they're bringing them out for us. Uh, here not maybe a handful of years ago, they asked uh, Mrs. Clinton what her favorite book was, and Hillary said, my favorite book, bar none, was The Return of the Prodigal, one of Henry Nowen's great works. So wow. it's surprising how many areas, how many different types of people he continues to speak to and enlighten, and especially in light of 301, call them to a life of service. Mm, that's so good. Okay, 401. Okay. And I'm sure I, it's all the books that Rusty George has written. That's right. Everything that Rusty's done. The complete uh, library. <laughs> <laughs> when I think of 401, what came to my mind when you asked me about this, I think of somebody who has said yes, I hope this term makes sense, who has said yes to missional living and going. Their life is on mission. So I decided, I, I originally was thinking, Rusty, I would bring in a devotional classic or two, but... Instead, I went far more contemporary, and I chose Alan Hirsch's The Forgotten Ways. This is for the person who's a bit more of an advanced reader and is trying to put their life on purpose in light of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. This is a wonderful, Hirsch is one of the brightest people of our day. Uh, the Forgotten Ways, that's the first one. The second one is another one of his works that he co-authored with uh, Tim Ketchum 
called the permanent revolution. And what I love about it, it's really an extended reflection on Ephesians 4, apostle, prophet, evangelist, uh, teacher, shepherd, that imagery. And it's so helpful to those of us who are trying to think strategically Mm -hmm. about how we, how would I say it, Rusty, how we respond to a culture that is far less receptive to what it means to be a Christ follower. This, this work would be incredibly helpful. The final one, I came back to, our, to the heart of our original conversation. We were talking about the spiritual life. This is a book by Robert Saucy, who I, I can't recommend him enough. Uh, this is called Minding the Heart, and I read it when I had my second knee surgery, and I just decided I was so challenged by the imagery of the heart that I went back through my Bible. There are 1,011 or so references to heart in Scripture, and he tracks all of that. He's looking at it through the lens of how Hebrew, the Hebrew culture would, that the heart is mission control center. It's the place where we make our, our most strategic decisions, and it comes back to that whole idea, how am I going to live? How will I live on purpose? Saucy's book is, I think it will be a classic. I think it will long outlive a lot of the more contemporary things that I might say or do or someone else might say or do. Robert mm. Saucy, Minding the Heart, mm. for the person who's really hungry to live missionally. Okay, let me, uh, I'm just going to spring some questions on you here now. Yeah. So um, I heard years ago, Eugene Peterson say, clear your bookshelves of anything that's not over 100 years old, <laughs> which means all of his works too. Yeah. Um, and then I heard Rick Warren say, don't read guys that are your peers, read guys that have gone before you. Some of these guys have gone before us. Some of these guys are dead and gone. Um, who are some of the ancient writers? the desert fathers, the, the ones that you, you have a high regard for that maybe didn't make the list? I just recommended a, a COVID-19 reading list for our staff and our elders, and I included two of the ones that I would consider to be these ancient classics. One is Athanasius. Anything that he's written, most of what has been brought into contemporary culture are rather thin, like the one he did on Incarnation. How, what's the implication of God putting on flesh and coming in the person of Jesus Christ? Mm -hmm. Athanasius is one of those guys. I honestly believe, Rusty, that we would all be, with all due respect, I'm not looking for a fight, but all of us would be Jehovah's Witnesses, if not for Athanasius, and his capacity mm -hmm. to hold the just right balance between Jesus being fully God and fully man, perfect in mm -hmm. every way. He's one. And there was a very early Christ follower by the name of Antony of Egypt. I highly recommend his writings. There's been a lot done. Uh, most of them are abbreviated. Uh, we, have, we actually have uh, Athanasius was the one who first wrote about Antony, and if Athanasius hadn't done that, we wouldn't know anything about Antony. Augustine would fall into that category. I'm grieving over not <laughs> including him in this conversation. I still read the confessions periodically. I know that he didn't say everything correctly, neither do I, 
but I find in him a voice that would match what Peterson is saying, the depth in which he writes, his hunger for God, I think is transferable to we 21st century Jesus followers. You know, that's one of my COVID readings. Another one that had been on the shelf. I actually have two copies of it, read neither one of them uh, for years. And I finally (laughs) dusted it off. And I've been reading it slowly over the course of 2020. Uh, It's powerful. Uh, There are obviously sentences I don't get. And then sentences that that stop me dead in my tracks. And it's it's really, really fascinating. Uh, Brother Lawrence, didn't mention him. Love, love him. I told somebody the other day, I've given him away like you have now. And I've given uh, the practice of the presence of God away to uh, a lot of people who are just looking for a way of understanding how their work and life might somehow stay tethered to our loving God each and every moment. And I don't know of a better writer he, he didn't read or write, but we should clarify that. If not for his fellow monastics taking his thoughts and putting them in print, we wouldn't have his, his deep wisdom. So that's a good one, Rusty. Good for you. Mm, that's good. Okay, I want to give you a couple topics here, and you tell me just a few books that come to mind that might be helpful for our listeners. What about someone who's going through tragedy, just suffering, just a season of suffering, which I think a lot of our people feel that right now with COVID and racial tension. But, you know, particularly in our, in our area, we've had the school shootings. We've had, you know, some suicides that people have grieved and mourned over. What do you recommend as people walk through those seasons? Yeah, anything by Phil Yancey. Most of all of his writings will eventually come to the theme of pain and suffering at some point. Uh, Yancey's just a superb contemporary writer. Mm-hmm. Um, I would highly recommend the writings of Jerry Sitzer, who I mentioned earlier, Water from a Deep Well. He has Mm. several other books. Um, I think that the title that is in the back of my my brain's hard drive is A A Grace Observed. It's the story where he tells the tragedy of, in a single car accident, he loses his wife, his mom, and his oldest daughter. And he talks about the way in which he falls into what St. John of the Cross, St. John of the Cross would be a good example too of reading about pain, uh, where he talks about falling into the dark night of the soul. Uh, Very readable. Mm. I I also would recommend uh, a grief observed from C.S. Lewis. Mm -hmm. Um, There's so much that's been done. Listen, Rusty, just to keep it practical, if a person really was struggling with all the, the heartache of our time, I would encourage them to spend, just sit and ruminate in James 1. James chapter 1, with those three pictures of trials, tests, and temptations, is a good place to go and to recognize that in all three, God has a capacity. It's a bit like Romans 8. God has the capacity to reclaim fix, rebuild uh, all that is rightfully his. So uh, I'm I'm really tender toward people who are going through hard times and are looking for something to read. Those are examples. That's good. Okay, what about prayer? Lots of stuff out there on prayer. What's a few that you recommend? Yeah, Yancey's book comes immediately to mind, just called Prayer. The subtitle is Doesn't Make Any Difference. 
there are a couple of works that I love. John Bailey, it's B-A-I-L-L-I-E. It's an older, early 20th century work. It's actually a set of prayers, about 30 prayers. My wife gives that one away periodically. Bailey's little work on prayer is outstanding. Uh, Jim Nicodem's little work on prayer coach. Uh, if somebody's out there and they just want some nuts and bolts help with praying, uh, I highly recommend that. I mentioned The Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozer. A lot of people have told me that the most attractive thing about that classic are the prayers at the end of each chapter, and they learned how to pray by watching how Tozer prayed. Now, hmm. Tozer's language is flowery. It's different than our 21st century language, but you can still learn how to pray by watching mm -hmm. somebody else or listening to somebody else pray. The, the last recommendation I would make, and this is going to sound like it's coming through the back door again, is Crossway Publishing's uh, ESV Psalter, it's the 150 Psalms put in a single leather volume with devotional guidance. I love that little tool, and I use it. I've worked my way through all 150. Rusty, every day I pray a psalm. Just, I, I just, if, if I weren't praying the psalms, I'd probably be so self-absorbed and asking and asking and asking and never quite come to that full fruitful way of praying that I see even in lamenting mm. in the 150 Psalms. So the Psalter, That's really good. the devotional Psalter, I guess it's called by Crossway. Okay. Uh, you introduced me and all of our, uh, my fellow students to a devotional classic called Disciplines for the Inner Life by Benson and Benson, which is remarkable, hard to find now. It is. Remarkable. Uh, and it's just daily readings. But from that, it led me to the works of Robert Benson. And here's a guy that has struggled with depression, divorce, all the things that are very, very contemporary, and then writes about prayer. Uh, Between the Dreaming and Coming True, I love. But my favorite, I read it every year, is Living Prayer. Uh, that work is phenomenal. And especially for people that just struggle with should I pray, the idea of God, depression, those kind of things. He's right there with us. You just made me think, too, because of the Nashville connection with the Benson family. The Rabbit Room people down there in Nashville are publishing. If, you, if our listeners just got online and, and inserted Rabbit Room, it would lead them most likely to uh, Nashville and the publishing company there. And they've done so many beautiful wonderful work. Several of them are on liturgical praying and just so helpful. They not only write well, they try to produce books that people like me love, you know, leather bound, hand stitched. And anyway, <laughs> uh, the rabbit room people are just doing remarkable ministry in the 21st century. Yeah. You don't strike me as a guy that likes to read on Kindle very much. No, I yeah. tried. I really tried. I Decided I, I, I almost gave up on it now. I like the convenience. Probably you do too. I, if you're hard. on a somewhere. Yeah, that's nice. But I only read things I think I'll never underline a thing in. <laughs> so maybe it's a biography or it's a book about, you know, the 92 <laughs> Bulls or something like that. But I'm, 
Yeah, if it's worth writing in, I got to get the hand, yeah, the actual one. Okay. Um, what about mentoring? You're going to sit down and mentor somebody. Obviously, the ones you just said are, are great starters, but anything that works really well for that? Oh, Rusty, there's a book called, I think I even have it right here. There's a book called Spiritual Mentoring by Anderson and Reese that I would highly recommend, not so much for the quality of the reading, but for the practical advice at the close of the book. It, the subtitle is A Guide for Seeking and Giving Direction mm -hmm. on Spiritual Mentoring. I've written a lot about the capacity that, again, other authors and books. Uh, I'm going to use the Eugene Peterson since you mentioned him. I have read, as far as I know, everything that Eugene wrote, uh, and I found in him a reliable voice, even when there were times where I might take a divergent view of a passage or a pastoral issue, I still found in him a voice that for all these years, this is my 44th year of pastoring and teaching, and I found in him someone that could travel with me for those 44 years and be a, a mentor. I met him one time, but he wouldn't remember me ever in his life, but he so profoundly impacted me. Uh, it's worth the search, I guess, is what I'm trying to say, to find mm -hmm. that author that speaks the, the heart language of the individual. Am I getting yeah. at what you're asking? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think those are great ones, especially if, if they're a pastor. Um, under the Unpredictable Plant, uh, that's an annual read for me as well. Every year I get something else out of it uh, because I've got another year of mileage behind me. And I, I recently read um, The Pastor, which is a bit of his memoir and just oh, really cool. speaks to the heart yeah. of, of pastoring. That was, man, that was so good. Okay, yes. um, last question. Um, you mentioned, you know, men reading books, haven't found the right one. And I love that you brought up Tony Dungy. I mean, there's a guy that, not a theologian, but so practical and, and well, well written are, you know, are his materials. And he's been quoted a lot during this uh, very uh, stressful time. Um, any other great authors for men, especially? I mean, John Eldridge has a lot of stuff out there that I've, I've found is helpful. Anything else you can think of? Boy, I wish I'd had time to ruminate on that a little bit. Um, Rusty, there are um, all kinds of people, once we're off, that will surface in my brain once we're off the air here, who have just impacted me deeply. Uh, here's what I would do. Here's the way I'm going to answer this again in a backhanded sort of way. If I were interested in reading, I'd find a guy who I knew was well-rounded, <laughs> not a fruitcake, and, and ask him, who, who are you reading? What contemporary uh, voices mm. speak, your, speak to you and, and have taught you deeply? And I find in, I, I'm asking that all the time of staff. I always want to be the student, who you're reading, that I'm not reading. We have a young uh, missions pastor here by the name of Tommy Nika. And Tommy's the guy who got me hooked on Alan Hirsch who I probably wouldn't have spent much time paying attention to. But Tommy said, JK, you got to read this guy. 
So I, I'm an asker. I constantly am bugging people about what they're reading and who they're reading. I would do that if mm. I were looking for a contemporary voice that I could trust. It might be a sports figure. Uh, it, it might be somebody in the world of politics that you like. It might be somebody who is outside of your, your spiritual stream that you swim in. Think outside the box, and sometimes, right now, I'm going to tell you who's coming to my mind, but it's not for men, is the late writer Evelyn Underhill. I didn't know anything about Evelyn Underhill until somebody said, J.K., I think you would really like reading her, and I liked her so much, I read everything that she wrote, and I particularly love uh, this book that has now been compiled called Concerning the Inner Life and the Inner House. It's two of her writings put in one. And I just love that work. And I wouldn't have known that if I hadn't been in a conversation with the reader mm. and uh, they led me to that, that particular author. So that's great. And I think you said a good word there outside your streams. I think we tend to, yeah. if we search for confirmation bias and we tend to read things that emphasize our point and then we share them online for the whole world to see. So finding a few things that stretch us are, 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 are really advantageous. Well, brother, this has been very, very rich for me, and I hope our listeners as well. I'd love to have you back on with more more uh, from the, the JK Library. Um, brother, I, I love you, and I'm so grateful for you, and thanks for 44 years of pastoring that have influenced so, so many people. So mutual. Love you. Hug your family. Hi to Lori. Okay? Will do. Well, thank you so much for all of our listeners, and we will be back again next week with a brand new episode.